You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, February the 21st, bright and early with you again today before heading to Heathrow to get a plane to to Saudi Arabia for the 2023 running of the Saudi Cup, more of which in a few moments' time. So much going on today. The Grand National Weights will be revealed at a lunchtime ceremony in Liverpool, the home of the Grand National, by the BHA senior jumps handicapper Martin Greenwood. One of the leading British fancies for that race is Corrick Rambler, trained by Lucinda Russell and her partner Peter Scudamore. They took the race with one for Arthur a few years ago. They tell me a little bit more about this horse, this quirky horse, in a few moments' time and what they're expecting from today. Lucinda also updates us on her Cheltenham Gold Cup hopeful, Ahoy Senor. And of course, everyone's just very watchful now as we reach these final few weeks before the Cheltenham Festival to keep uh, horses sound and in one piece and to keep jockeys off the sidelines and in action and that is particularly pertinent given the fact that today is the first day when we will learn how the new whip rules are are really working, the mechanics of them. Paul Nichols, the champion trainer, has already indicated that he expects the whip review committee that meets today to uh, give a ban to Lorcan Williams for his ride in a grade two race at Haydock on Saturday, the coefficient meaning he could be banned for for north of two weeks. That's what they're expecting. That would rule him out of the Cheltenham Festival. So there will be all sorts of vigilance on that front and you can bet your bottom dollar that story is not going to go away for the rest of the week. But we will wait and see what happens and report on that for you tomorrow if you haven't already heard the news of it by now as far as saudi arabia is concerned the saudi cup features two tip top horses from the united states both in the same ownership they're Tabor, one of the leading three-year-olds from last year and last year's runner-up and dubai world cup winner country grammar amir sedan their owner joins me later in this program and you want to talk about fascinating people who own racehorses step forward graham smith bernal who not only owns plenty but has also taken charge of newsels park stud but first of all last night i was at york chairing the judging panel for the thoroughbred industry employee awards it's a huge honor to do so it was another wonderful night full of emotion uh, and full of some of of the most inspiring people you could imagine who make this game tick they're the beating heart uh, of this sport the winner from john o'shea's small stable in gloucestershire was sarah guest who's been with john for over 20 years so it's a great privilege to find myself announcing the final finalists i'm obviously a little bit nervous after uh, what happened last time <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think i've got the right envelope so the employee of the year 2023 is Sarah Guest. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I really, really don't. We're a small little yard in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's not very often, and everyone will batch me on my table. I am speechless. I've always got something to say. Uh, I've got nothing to say. But tell me, who have you got on your table? I like the reaction that they gave you. Big cheers and yeah. big hugs. I've got my boss, John O'Shea. I've got my husband, Ross. 
and then the girls off the yard because we are a small yard, so I bought everybody. I've got Aisha, I've got Gina, and I've got Charlie, and they're family. We, we all work together, we make it work. So the horses are looking after themselves. Yeah. No, they're grand, they've given a pat on the head when the girls left the yard this afternoon, and shh, don't tell anyone, but they'll be okay. <laughs> It's about the recognition. It's not technically about the money, but that's now £15,000 that you've won tonight. What do you think you'll do with that? I don't know, because I haven't even thought of that. It's just a massive thing for our yard. Like, it's just going to be something that we can take on and on. Like, I've been saying to everybody, when we do a night out, it sort of evolves into a few weeks because we talk about it beforehand, we talk about it afterwards. But this is just... Yeah, I do. I'm speechless. I don't know. <laughs> and, and what I really like is that the, I think what clinched it for the judges is that for you personally, you, you're very aware of finding, not finding, but knowing what your weaknesses might be and going and improving yourself and taking courses, etc. Yeah. What's inspired you to do that? I know I'm not perfect. And I, every day's a school day. I go and I've done courses and I learn off. I mean, today, to speak to the newcomers, to speak to the other staff that are involved in it, and the stud staff, it's an inspiration, and I've loved it. I've loved every bit, and I've taken something from it, and I can't wait to go back to the yard and tell... Oh, sorry, staff. <laughs> You're all about it! <laughs> Well, well done to to Sarah Guest. A, a wonderful triumph, and as I've said, it's it's one of the the single most uplifting days of the year, and it's a huge honour to be involved in 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 any way. Um, so thanks to to everybody who's come together for this year's Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards. As I welcome in to this podcast today, Jane Mangan. Jane, um, I'm sure you will agree because these awards take place in Ireland, Australia, America, and all across the world. Many supported by Godolphin that they are a, a, a fantastic addition to the to the industry. Absolutely, and you know anything you can do to recognise the people who make it happen, basically, um, is is something that should be embraced. And I know in Punchestown just on Sunday there was the Up the Yard Challenge where riders from Rachel Blackmore to Lisa O'Neill, Patrick Mullins, and Shane Foley led up. Um, members of the stable staff who 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 wanted to ride in a race, they 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 got the opportunity from their trainer and they did so. So, uh, look, we don't have an industry without people who work with these animals and do so very well. They're very skilled, and we know that without them, we wouldn't be anywhere. It wasn't a sort of marquee weekend in Ireland, but that's not to say it wasn't without interest. That was one little bit of interest, but there were sort of nuggets buried here, there and everywhere at Goran Park and then at, at Punchestown. Goran, probably most significant. Just talk me through what you thought were the key key messages from that meeting. Well, I suppose the two main races, the graded Red Mills Hurdle and um, Red Mills Chase threw up some left fielders. Sharjah was beaten at four to seven in the Red Mills hurdle. He put in a very bad jump at the fifth last, like he did at, at Leopardstown. He stood into the middle of it and did very well to stay standing. And maybe that was the, his undoing, but he, he got beaten by a, a horse called Fieldor, who is still only a five-year-old miraculously. He's a horse that's been chasing for much of this season. He reverted back to hurdles and he beat him well. But I actually think the third horse, Dr. Bravo, who was going straight from a maiden hurdle into taking on these 150 rated horses in open company, equipped, equipped himself very well. He finished third. He was beaten a length and a half. And if he were to turn up in something like a Ballymore or even a handicap, 
I'd be interested to see how Dr. Bravo would go. In the Red Wolves chase, Gary O'Brien and I were both on duty for Racing TV and we were keen to get into the ring to see what Janadil and Capadano looked like because we hadn't seen them since Punchestown the, uh, the spring before, April before. They'd been off a very long time and the market was quite cold on them. Uh, Oton Kalor, of course, the horse that was going to beat Fakir Dederis in the horse and jockey chase at Thurless on his last start before he fell at the last with Brian Cooper. He was your four to six favourite. But Rachel Blackmore rode Janadil very cold, stone last of four runners. And she just came between the second last and the last with one run. And she caught him unawares and, and she ultimately won well. But on a horse that we deemed like he would need the run pre-race, he looked physically like he would benefit a lot from that outing. So if that is the case, then Janadil throws his hat into the Ryanair chase ring. And Capadano, post-race Willie Mullins, was still mm. talking about the option mm. of a Gold Cup. Man, a current he's... race he's currently 33-1 to for. And he's loaded up in the Gold Cup, isn't he? Galapan Deschamps, Statler, Capadano and maybe more. For Willie Mullins in that race. Who do you like for the Gold Cup, Jane? Uh, I like the favourite, but do you think he's too short? I think we need to get any kind of uh, semblance of information about Apluta, who's currently 8-1, to one, because if he comes back to last year's form, he should be not 8-1. to one. Uh, I think Brave Man's Game is value at 8-1 to one as well for Paul Nichols. And the horse, I thought, would win the stairs at the start of the year. Ahoy, senor. Surely now looking like he's got a chance. Am I going to have egg in my face? Well, let's find out because I've been speaking to his trainer, Lucinda Russell. I caught her with uh, Peter Scudamore, her her other half, and uh, they were sort of tossing up as to who was going to talk about which horse first because, of course, today is Randolph's Grand National Weights Lunch, which means we will find out what weight Korak Rambler has, also trained by Lucinda and Skew, and he would be the leading, I think, the leading British fancy for the, for the Grand National at the moment. And Ahoy Sen, you're a genuine contender for the Gold Cup. So very much two birds with, with one stone here. Who was going to talk about which horse, I wondered? Well, I thought, as Skew has everything to do with Current Rambler, uh, he works him, he does everything with him, so I'd better let him talk to you about Current Rambler. And yeah, the Luz can talk about Ahoy. Um, it, it's just the way it's worked out. I, I, I ride Korak, he's... One of my favourite horses, which makes no difference. It's been a long process getting where we were. I could have run him at Sandown, the bet 365 at the end of last season. We didn't because of the ground. And then we planned him to run in the Coral Cup at Newbury. And I was delighted with his run. And then we suddenly thinking, you know, let, let's have one run with him and go to Aintree with him. Because we've got to keep him around. I don't want him to go up and I don't want him to drop down too much in his weight. Then we suddenly thought, well, let's go to the Ultima with him. He won the Ultima last time, but it doesn't affect his weight. Um, though the Gold Cup and the Ultima have been good trials for the Grand National in the past. So that's where we go. Whether we're fortunate enough to win two Grand Nationals, I, I don't know. But he, he's made for a Grand National. Whether we get the luck and he's good enough, I don't know. Is he more talented than one for Arthur? That is a horrible question, but I know you're going to answer it. I would never say that. Look, he's a pretty good horse. He's a pretty good horse in his day. And I thought, you know, anything can win at Cheltenham, the ultimate Cheltenham. And I've ridden, you know, road charter party. He went on and won a gold cup. He's amongst the best handicappers in the country. So that must put him in the mix. If we bring the Arthur analogy in, with Arthur, we felt we had to get him up in the weights. Uh, to get a run, whereas Korak, we've had, we've tried to keep him at his weight. What did Arthur win the national off? One four two or something, and we're one four six. So, um, look, I, I believe 
we're not without a chance and that's all you could ever do at the Grand National he goes on most ground I, one stage we thought he wanted it soft then we thought he wanted it good I think he goes on most ground so Lucinda why why is he skews baby this horse why have they why have they sort of developed this this un, unbreakable bond um, so it goes back to when, when we bought them I wanted a horse in year and skew wanted Carrick Rambler and then uh, I suppose because Carrick was relatively cheap skew started riding him because it was it was fine there was no sort of pretension with him and uh, they just get on and they're quite he's quite you could call him quirky the horse he has his own mind I think the reason that he's improved is because we've allowed him to improve and, and he's so confident he's confident in himself at home he's confident himself at the races and I think Scoo gives him that confidence I mean they go off you can imagine they take no notice of what I say I try and tell them what work they're meant to do and they just go off and do their own thing but thankfully Scoo kind of knows what he's doing so um yeah it works it works quite well you know the older you get the more you appreciate the horse and and as a jockey you know your, your job was to win and I'm not sure you talked about happiness in your mind you, you, it was to win and you got off as a trainer you 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 you'd see the confidence needed and you're trying to create something you know, like a football manager we, we've just had um, we're coming back from somewhere now and we've just had the staff one of the staff on now and said, oh i rode correct today he's so fa- fabulous he's so wonderful he does this he does that and i think that creates a good feel around around it we talk about horses that get us that gets the way that we need an honest you know we're not dealing with real fast horses we need a toughness we had method in the madness one on sunday i mean she's tough i could run faster than she go if you watch her she, you know she's coming down through her fences as when she should be coming up but she never hesitates she keeps going and, and i believe that Korek has got gets us understands us and wants to race for us and that's what we try to instill in them maybe that's a little bit um soft but that's what i believe how's it ahoy senor lucinda um i i know my guest today jane mangan really fancies him for the gold cup is she right yes if we can get him there absolutely spot on everything so far is heading that way um he is a horse that i think has kept on improving i saw him today um with Derek riding him and he's just confident happy um coming back from the gallops you know it's funny excuse talking about um keeping them happy and we talk about mental health in humans. Maybe there's a bit of a mental health issue with horses that if they're confident, if they're free of pain and if they're relaxed, I think it does help them. And certainly a horse in your knows that he's a good horse. He is uh, very dominant on the gallops. Uh, we let him be dominant on the gallops. And um, he seems to be, you know, we, we've got our timetable mapped out and we're now trying to produce him just right for that Friday. Oh, really interesting, thoughtful stuff there from Lucinda Russell. Uh, and Peter Skudamore, and certainly wouldn't be putting you off either Cora Grambler or Ahoy Senor on that basis. Jane, other news matters to consider in Ireland, and the, the case of Homer Scott that we spoke about last week and that had been reported on by Paul Kimmage in the Irish Independent on Sunday. Now, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board have, and this is a bit of a departure for them, they'd issue, they've issued a, a statement to, to the Irish field at the weekend. What did it say? So Daryl Lachlan, who is, of course, the chief executive of the IHRB, and it must be said, was not in situ when this all happened, when this investigation actually occurred. He's quoted in the Irish field as saying, having viewed the file on this case, 
I believe the immediately taking back of the trainer's license was the right thing to have done in the circumstances. However, I accept the criticism about the transparency. We should have published a notice at the time stating that the license had been relinquished on foot of adverse inspection findings at the license pre uh, premises. We have to learn from this. Transparency and we have to learn from this. That that They were positive, promising. I took a little bit of confidence from the chief executive's words saying that. In the Mark Costello written uh, piece in Saturday's Irish Field, it does finish, mm. the paragraph finishes with the Irish Field was unable to get confirmation from the, de the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine as to whether this case, the case of Homer Scott, is ongoing or if there has been any charges um brought in relation to it so um it's it's a case that has been widely discussed here in the past week maybe not so in the uk but the fact that the ihrb have put their hands up and said in future you'd be confident that this will be handled a little bit differently okay the ihrb have also released their findings into doping uh, the doping report from the, the back end of 2022 has been released. What do those findings tell us? So every six months, the IHRB release their anti-doping uh, findings. And I suppose AAF, the adverse analytical findings, is what we always go to. But before we get to those numbers, let's just concentrate that there was 5,417 samples taken across 2022 11 which is point zero or 0 0.2% uh, returned an adverse analytical finding it goes through great detail i must give credit to the detail from july to december so the last 6 months there was 1556 races run of which there were four adverse analytical findings uh, in point to points there was 184 races run of which there were two so those were followed up on there was out competition inspection. So there was 23% of the samples that were taken um, during this time period were out of competition testing. We always promote that because uh, obviously you want to have a clean sport on and off the track. Um, and the follow-up investigations for those post uh and uh, adverse analytical findings uh, during uh, July to December, there was three investigations run. Um, and of course, you don't have names, you don't have details, but you have numbers and you have a little bit of confidence that if you, anybody who's thinking of doing something outside the lines, well, your chances are you're going to get caught. It is not unusual now, Jane, in the UK for there to be joint licenses, more than one licensee on the license. And there have been joint licenses in Australia for an awful long time. Ireland, it, it, it's getting there. Uh, and there's a bit of a groundbreaking moment this week. What is it? Well, in Ireland, there's only one training partnership, and that is between Eddie and Patrick Harty. There is now going to be a second. And what's probably more pertinent in this case is that they're not related and they're two quite senior names. Michael Halford and Tracy Collins, they will be taking out a joint license under the banner of Cunningham Lodge, which, of course, is always home to the Collins family from the beginning of March. Um, Michael Halford, well established group one winning trainer, Royal Ascot winning trainer. And one of only a few in this country to have saddled over a thousand winners. 
he will be training alongside Tracy Collins, who's obviously staying in her Cunningham Lodge base, um, a base that has been home to the Collins family since it was built in 1855. Of course, her grandfather, MC Collins, her father, Con Collins, legends of their sport. And uh, I suppose this is something that might have come as a surprise to a number of people because they look in and think, Tracy Collins, Michael Halford, both well-established, both have a good clientele base, but this is the, the the route they've gone down. It's a new chapter in both of their careers. But I would also hope that this might normalise training partnerships in this country because I can see going forward it becoming a necessity because owning farms, building yards, even things like buying a tractor or maintaining a gallop, those things are just becoming so extortionately expensive that if you can split the cost or make it work for you, this might just be a step in that direction. Now, if you enjoy going racing at Sandown, or even if you've never been racing at Sandown before, it doesn't take much for me to absolutely endorse the idea of heading there on the 11th of March, Saturday the 11th of March for Imperial Cup Day. It is really a, a tremendous day's racing and there's a special buzz about the place because you're right on the cusp of the Cheltenham Festival and you'll always pick up a few little bits and bobs and nuggets along the way uh, as well as enjoying a, a fabulous day's racing. The Imperial Cup's got a, a great history. There's the EBF final, big listed mare's bumper as well. And you can enjoy grandstand admission for just a tenner, half price, just a tenner for grandstand admission. If you go onto the Jockey Club's website, jockeyclub.co.uk, and on the Imperial Cup booking page, type in your promo code NL10. It's an exclusive offer for listeners to the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. NL10 is the promo code you need. And you will be off to Sandown Park for a tenner on Imperial Cup Day. Well, if you are a regular listener to this, to this podcast, you will have heard... Amir Zidane on a number of occasions before, most notably just before last year's edition of the Saudi Cup, which ended up as nearly a very happy ending for him as Country Grammar ran a superb race to finish second to the local horse, Emblem Road. Uh, this year, he's going back not just with Country Grammar, but with Tabor, who'd have a realistic claim to being the best older horse currently in training in the United States. Both horses are trained by Bob Baffert. Both will run in his pale blue, red and white silks. One will be ridden by Frankie de Tori. And the other by another great U.S. riding legend. Uh, Amir joins me on the line now. Uh, Amir, you've you've had some interesting uh, high days, holidays, and dark times over the last couple of years in the sport of horse racing. But as you approach the Saudi Cup 2023, uh, how intense is the anticipation with these two horses? Extremely. Well, thanks for having me, Nick. It's good to be on again. I can't believe it's been almost a year coming up for a year since we've uh, we've we've caught up together in the Saudi Cup the anticipation is, is is tremendous and I'm so proud of the horses and I'm really looking forward to seeing them run back in my home country and since the inception of this race to what extent has this been you know something fairly talismanic has this been an absolute must win for you as a as a Saudi of course every race is a must win that's kind of the attitude we carry but it being in Saudi and and everything I do in Saudi in the equestrian space, it would really just sort of complete the narrative. Uh, egotistically, again, it's my hometown, and and I really would want to see my horses win, uh, be it Country Grammar or Teba, for that matter. Um, I mean, both of them are like my boys, right? But I think Teba would be a sweeter win. Uh, I remember catching up with you, and I think it was it was you and Michelle 
last last year and we still had Taba in training he hadn't even broken his mane and I was telling Michelle we're going to have a really good horse and for, for us to come back and for me to come back and have him as a favorite for the Saudi Cup a year later uh, it's just surreal and I'm, I'm so happy about that alright I will I'll make a confession so th- this is a conversation that we had on the Wednesday or Thursday night last year and uh, you said yeah I've got this horse hasn't run yet could end up in the Kentucky Derby and <sighs> I'm not saying we laughed at you, but we were like, come on, Amir, you know. <laughs> come on, get real. Huh? <laughs> trying to, you were even trying to exceed, you know, the, the, the justify laws of laws of probability. And, it, it, you know, okay, he didn't he didn't run that well in the derby, but he went into it nearly his favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, he, he, um, he, 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 we knew it was a, the derby was a tall order. It was a second start for him, but at least he showed up as a co-favourite in the derby. Uh, the talent was definitely there. It was too early, too soon for him. Uh, but again, he demonstrated that he was uh, he was up for the challenge, and he lived up to our expectations. Having won, I call it three and a half grade grade ones. One of which was uh, was the Haskell. I mean, I call it half a grade one because he almost had it. But uh, he just really did us proud in 2022, and um, I think arguably uh, he is the best. Uh, uh, four-year-old coming into the 2023 campaign, and actually, you know that that him him versus Epicenter for that Eclipse leading three-year-old was the only bone of contention in virtually the entire the entire ceremony. You could make a very cogent case to jump to jump either way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, look, Epicenter is a great horse, and 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 I congratulate Ron Winchell on uh, on on his performance, and and I was really sad to see him hurt uh, in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but again, Teba Teba really showed up. Uh, Teba was uh, again with with the. I don't really recall when we haven't seen a a, a three year old or a horse for that matter having won three uh, Grade Ones and not at least uh, garnered more votes than the votes that uh, uh, Teba Teba got. But uh, I think it's time for us to see new uh, new uh, rewards come come out. Perhaps a new uh, point system where races are are granted points so if you win selected races then you accumulate points and these points really dictate whether you become the winner of that vintage year of an eclipse award i think or whatever award that may be uh, in this scenario so i think it's time to revisit how the the awards are given out and how the weighted races are are considered for each and every horse in each and every race all right that's interesting so you you would maybe you 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 take the votes away from from opinionated folk like me and uh, and make it something slightly more data based. So I'm not taking. I don't. I'm not. I don't think any, anyone's going to be taking offence. I think it's an interesting suggestion. No, I think you can do a mishmash of both. You could do a combination, half this, half that. But at least you eliminate the bias, and then you have results speak 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 for themselves. And then you can have the the uh, individual uh, opinions uh, coming in and complementing the the base. So the base would be the numbers, which don't lie. And then you can have everything else because you know ra- uh, racing is, uh, is 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 both science and an art. So you can have the science and you can have the art with, with people's opinions and, and considerations, and then uh, knowing which horse skipped which race and had that horse been in that race and that could be a different scenario. Then you can add that on top. So if you do a combination of both, I think you have you would have less critics and more credible uh, award system. Okay, well, we've 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 gone on to a tangent, but it's a very interesting one nonetheless. Back to the race, uh, Tabor, mm-hmm. a horse who maybe still has has some some serious improvement in him. Country Grammar, we know where we are, but what a t- what a tough horse he is. Um, how do you see the whole the whole event unfolding? How do you see the race unfolding with the two of them? 
I mean, Teba is is a horse that uh, doesn't really work as hard as he shows up in the afternoons. He gives me a heart attack on the back stretch and also in the mornings when he trains because he just gives you enough. If he's in his day and if he traveled well, which I think he did, and I hope he still continues to to demonstrate, so I think he will. And if he brings his A game, the likes of what we saw in the Malibu, I think you'll see a, a an, inc- an excellent performance. Uh, country grammar, he's tried and tested. He's he's a mature horse. He's an older horse that has traveled, and and we know that he can travel. He's been on the track. Uh, if he just uh, shows what he showed us in Dubai, I think it'll be an interesting duel between both of them. Obviously, I'd love it to be one-two, regardless of the order, but uh, uh, either or would be uh, would be would be a happy day for me. Well, what do you make of the, the Frankie Dottori story unfolding in, in, in California? Another four winners last night, probably more coming tonight. Um, 18 winners as I'm speaking to you now for the for the meet so far in Santa Anita. H- how do you think that that's revivified the scene out there? Oh, phenomenal. Frankie needs no uh, no testimony from me. He's a living legend. I'm just sad to see him uh, throwing in the towel by the end of the season. Again, I'd like to really send out an invitation and say, instead of just retiring, selectively try to pick up some mounts, and I'd be always happy to have him uh, aboard uh, some of our horses. Uh, congratulations to Frankie, and uh, I think it's too early, but uh, uh, I hope he reconsiders. In terms of the race as a whole, the Saudi Cup as a whole, you know, you've you've watched it grow and develop. Do, do you think the race is where it, where it needs to be? What would you like to see over the next few years? Um, I think it is. You know, it's in its infancy, so to say. Uh, the the upside is uh, is massive. Uh, I think the team and, and everybody involved in the Saudi Cup has has thrown an amazing show, and it's just great for uh, for racing. It provides an option for four-year-olds to carry on internationally and, and, and showcase their talent. It makes it viable and feasible for breeders and owners to uh, actually uh, keep their operation moving. And it shows that Saudi Arabia speaks the language, the international language of, of racing. And, and that's something that's just great for the industry uh, and its totality. Well, it is Tuesday, so it is the moment where we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherbees, uh, their Global Stallion app and their excellent Stallion book. In both of those, you'll find all the stallions currently housed at Newsels Park Stud, a stud with a, a rich tradition and history, and one that has been relatively recently acquired by new ownership in the shape of Graham Smith-Bernal, who, who joins me now. Graham, Newsels has got a, a wonderful heritage, has, has stood some great stallions, and, and you are now... Um, the man at the at the helm of it. Just just tell us a little bit about your 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 own background pre racing. And I come from a sort of a legal services and uh, technology uh, background. I actually started off life as a court reporter, a court sonographer, um, and um, <clears throat> had an opportunity. It really gave me an insight into the workings of the legal industry and and the the culture as much as anything else. And um, by the age of twenty three, I had an opportunity. I won't go into the detail of that. Uh, to set up my own court reporting business. Um, I took the jump, walked into the house, um, and because I was bringing, always had an, uh, an interest in doing things differently and um, bringing uh, technology to bear on what was a very traditional precedent-driven industry, um, um, you know, I, I started combining um, technology as a differentiator for my court reporting service. And by the age of 28, I had 100 court reporters working for me with um, court appointments in various crown court centres across the country. 
Um, and then and, uh, the, it jumped on from there around 1990. Um, I saw uh, an opportunity to develop a, a piece of software ourselves. So I actually set up a, a software division at that point, a product called LiveNote that allowed live transcripts literally in real time as the words were being spoken to come up on judges and lawyer screens. And I created a product that allowed lawyers to interact with the evidence in real time. It speeded up trials and, and made them less dependent on paper. Um, and that became a standard. And then what wasn't expected was the fact that I was covering most of the big hearings back in the 90s resulted in um, the software almost in an evolutionary way becoming a, a global standard. Big, big break in America was we get a call from O.J. Simpson's lawyers in 1995 and they'd heard about the software and they wanted to use it. That gave us a lot of exposure there. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, I, I eventually you know, the product took off right across the States. I sold that business in 2006 and when non-competes expired um i got a bit um restless just sitting in my place uh, semi-retired in italy and, and had these ideas about the cloud and um effectively created the world's first cloud-based platform for managing um litigation uh, content all the documents all the transcripts but because we were then in, in a cloud environment so much easier to access and collaborate rather than from a desktop and, and replicated the, the secret source was that I replicated the same commercial strategy of bringing the software to bear as a differentiator for my services and that again resulted in the company taking off very very rapidly uh, and in fact you know, the, the biggest uplift was um, was as a result of COVID um, because hearings couldn't continue with people physically taking um, physically being present at the hearings and um they, they had to go virtual and our, our product was the only product of its type that was designed to facilitate those sorts of hearings. So hearings like Grenfell Tower, Public Inquiry, most of the big arbitrations and uh, litigations going on around uh, the UK and beyond. And then, um, you know, again, they, we suddenly we got on the radar of a number of major private equity houses and decided that was a good time to exit that. Um, so that was um, just wow. one month before I bought Newsource. Have you have you always been a man in a in an incredible hurry? I mean, you achieved a remarkable amount by the time your twenties were done, and then you you weren't letting the grass grow under your feet in semi retirement. Were you like that as a child? Um, I, well, I can't remember that far back. Um, <laughs> let me think. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think I was I was always restless. I wasn't. I, I didn't enjoy conventional education school i was a bit of a rebel um and you know I, I've, I've sort of looked back at my past and thought well, what, tell me you know, ask myself a question what is it about education that didn't really fit and uh, i think the problem with conventional education is that it all it really teaches you is that which already exists and i was frustrated by that i was always thinking well wait a minute this sounds ridiculous the way things that are happening in this in this market or industry and uh, uh, and always had a sort of um, a bit of a rebel attitude to um, you know why shouldn't we do things differently why shouldn't we move things on a bit um, embrace some of the the intangible qualities of how things have been done in the past but you know the tangible elements have to have to um, have to change and move forward with the times there is something gloriously um, rebellious in a way and unconventional about about scooping up an established stud farm and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll have a crack at this. I, I mean, did you have people in the industry, even though you'd owned resources and we're getting into it in a, in a reasonably big way, did you have people in the industry saying, Graham, are you sure you know what you're doing here? Um, just about everyone I spoke to. <laughs> Julian was, um, I mean, one of the, the nice things was, you know, 
Um, I had horses here at Newsels um, for five years and got to know the management team very well. And so effectively, some of the due diligence that one was going to need to do, I mean, and, it, and it's so hard to do. I mean, people talk about, oh, we've got a great management team, etc. But I actually was able to experience um, the quality of, of the services that um, that Julian, Gary and the team were, were providing, whether it was actually rearing the foals, um, taking care of the mares, um, and then how that translated to um, success in the sales ring, and not always success. But, you know, the other thing I really appreciated about the team um, and Julian um, was that he's a straight shooter. He's going to tell you um, how it is. And my experience in the industry to that point was, you know, a lot of people were telling you things that um, were gilding the lily somewhat. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I had a lot of people challenging me and saying, well, do you know what you're doing? But, you know, the, my background was doing things that, um, you know, were not, were, were you know, big challenges to uh, at first first base and, and people saying, well, um, you know, the, do you realise what you're biting off here? But um, I did come into this with my eyes open. Um, I, I did buy it because it is a commercial stud. And I think there are, um, despite all the challenges facing this industry, I think there are um, still significant um, opportunities ahead. And, uh, um, you know, we, we can elaborate on those as we go forward here. And, and th- this podcast has, has extolled the virtues, sometimes with, with a bit of lively banter with Julian Dollar. Uh, uh, we've extolled the ver- virtues of Nathaniel so often. Uh, and, you know, I've been involved in, in, in breeding a mare to without parole. I think they're very exciting. Ayali was a very, very fast horse. You've got a lovely spread of, of stock there and some and some beautiful brood mares as well. You're the Waldmark family, you know, the, the the great family that the Jacobs built up over over so long. What what I'm interested in, I suppose, Graham, is is how you, with this this wealth of experience in going into an industry and doing things better, faster, more efficiently, uh, more dynamically, how you're going to apply that to to this phase of your life. It's, it's now nearly coming up two years since I bought it. About twenty months now, and um, um, one of the things I've said, you know, is interviewed. Uh, you know, at the beginning, was that I'm not going to interfere too much with, with the way um, things are run. It, it is, uh, uh, you know, it's a proven, um, a proven success. The new source is not, um, you know, commercial success. We've topped the sales. I think it's five or six years in the last eight, including the last five now. Um, so they're doing something right, and so we're very much focused on uh, reinforcing uh, that success by s- staying focused on on the core competency um, and and building um, more partnerships. Um, bring, we've created um, uh, our uh, racing syndicate, and I'm very close to Tottenham Hotspur and and some of the legends there. So. Um, you know, I built uh, the first partnership around Osgard Dealers, who's a very close friend, and, and attracting people, I think football and soccer and, and horse racing, you know, there's a lot of people who, who have an interest in both, uh, there's a common thread there, and so we've been quite successful in building that, we just launched our second syndicate, mm-hmm. which is named after Wildmark, who's recently resigned. Uh, sorry retired but i think we're just you know sticking to core competency um bringing more people in as partners some of those people involved in the racing syndicates then express interest in getting into the breeding um it's wonderful to be able to show um you know as the owner of this place to show people around this wonderful stuff and um and and then the 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 other thing is um we probably heard about this we're sort of branching into other areas that are complementary one of which is um 
we planted 45,000 vines on the uh, south-facing chalk slopes here at Newsels. Um, we have some 1,200 acres of land and 35 of the acres we use for that. So we're looking to um, produce uh, a stellar sparkling wine at a time when global warming is resulting in um, it being almost too hot now to grow age-worthy champagne or to produce age-worthy champagne in the champagne area. So, so again, focused on what we're doing best and more of the same, more partners, uh, racing syndicates and uh, and branching into one or two complementary areas as well. Yeah, That's and we're doing right just allowing racing to dig itself a little bit more into into the, the wider sporting world. I, I, I like your your sporting chance draw that you're doing with Ali, for example, where people can get a chance to go to Dubai, but also to the Rugby World Cup, the ladies' final at Wimbledon. You are obviously a sports nut, I'm guessing. It was actually our partners that came up with this this promotion, and um, um, you know, I look at things at first at the first glance and think, is that you know, is that um, uh, a rather sort of trite sort of uh, a promotion, and you know, there's not um, uh, one plus one equals three, if you like. Um, but this really did um, strike me as being something very innovative and, and exciting. You know, most people, again, uh, and, and you know, like myself, who are involved in horse racing, they like other sports as well. So I think this is a great um, additional incentive. Having said that, I think the horse, Ali, is you know, very much sells himself. He's obviously got a very um, strong race um, track record, three group twos as a two-year-old. Um, um, but he is a, he's a very very attractive physical specimen with a great walk great temperament and um, his um, you know the first foals are arriving as we speak so but how much pleasure does it give you Graham finally to, to stand a horse like Nathaniel who is who has bred a derby winner and an Oaks winner has, has accomplished that rare double and, and is he's had to work hard to, to drill himself into the affections of breeders but he he is getting there very steadily but very surely now how much pleasure does that give you as, as the as the the owner of this stud um it gives enormous pleasure i mean i would be lying if i said that you know nathaniel in, in so many ways was the icing on the cake of, uh, of, of acquiring new souls he was both mine and my wife's favorite racehorse um my wife because her, her granddad was called nathaniel um and um and I remember seeing him uh, win uh, in my local racetrack, the, the Coral Eclipse back at, um, gosh, I can't even remember where that was, but I remember seeing him run and he just gave it everything. And he was, and as a physical specimen, he is, he's outstanding. And, you know, I, I, he, he is, he's such an iconic horse and um, he's now proving it, you know, as a stallion um, with an able first off and now various others in between and now of course the the, the derby winner and um, hopefully that horse desert crown will um, continue on the racetrack this year but the signs i think are good but it was it was a joy to um you know to have nathaniel um we had um, again we've had offers for him but i refuse to accept those offers he is very much part of the um of, of the fabric of, of newsom's park stud and um yeah, no, I think he's uh, he's having an incredible um, um, amount of interest this year, and I think his um, what's in the book already exceeds what um, the total covers from last year. So we we think he might have a record um, uh, covering year this season. Graham, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much for your time. Great pleasure, Nick. All the best. Graham Smith Burnell, all the best to him. What an interesting story. So many stories have been told at York 
at the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards where I was last night. And I wanted to give you a bit of perspective as to how, how these awards are judged as well. I mean, there's no point in taking my word for it. Um, for all I'm the head judge, I would say that, wouldn't I? What about someone who's been on the panel a lot longer than I have? Dawn Goodfellow, the Chief Executive of, of Racing Welfare. I began our conversation by just really asking her to, to, to draw on her experience and tell us just how inspiring this whole whole day was. It very definitely is. I think it's everything that's best about racing. It's great employers putting forward their best employees. So there's nothing really not to like. And as far as Sarah's concerned, a little different in, in a sense that she's not from one of the most sort of powerful operations in, in, in the country. How important do you think that is for the, for the event as a whole? I think it's great in that it shows some diversity. You know, we have had those people who've come from the biggest yards. Uh, Sarah, as you say, comes from a very small yard in Gloucestershire um, and is a linchpin of that yard. It's it's quite a different role. Um, and obviously she's been instrumental in its growth and she's been instrumental in keeping it going. Whilst at the same time, she's a working mum. She rehomes racehorses. Really impressive individual. And I can say, yeah, we do a great job doing this, but no one's going to take any notice of me. Uh, they might take more notice of you. Um, you. You are so immersed in, in this world and so immersed in the fortunes of racing's workforce as well. Just tell people a little bit about the judging process. So I think the judging process um, is as fair as we can conceivably make it in that there are 12 judges. You move from one category to another. You judge with somebody different every time. So by the time these people get to the finals, an awful lot of people have had input into that short list. And then as a group today, we each judged one category, but then we come back together and we have a look at all of the nominations. We all have to justify why we've chosen who we have and then together as a group we choose that overall winner. Godolphin have supported this for an awful long time. The British Horse Racing Authority, Safia O'Keefe and her team do, do an excellent job administering it as well. But every year, Dawn, we always say to all trainers, and not just trainers, anyone who works in a stud or a stable can nominate, get those nominations in. That's right. It's the biggest thing that you can do for someone. And watching people who have been nominated, what it does for their self-esteem and their self-confidence is fantastic. But as you say, you know, I've been told, oh, no, it's only for big yards. It's only for flat yards. It's only for small yards. It's for everybody. So please do get your nominations in. All right. My thanks to Dawn, to all my guests today and a wonderful variety of them as well. Jane Mangan is still with me, one of our wonderful regulars, of course. And a couple more bits of news, one to do with a change of ownership, one to do with a notable retirement. Let's start with the first. I don't remember Henrietta Knight telling me last week about Brandy Love being sold to Joe and Mary Donnelly, but in, in their colours, she will race at the Cheltenham yeah. Festival. It rose. It, it certainly caught my eye. Um, she did mention the target would be the Kivega Mayor's Hurdle, mm. uh, the final opportunity for her to run before taking up an engagement in the Mayor's Hurdle at Cheltenham. But um, the colours was a surprise. So she'll now run in the Shishkin, the album photo um, colours of the Donnelly family. She's been out of action since we saw her absolutely trounce Love Envoy at Fairy House last year. We know she's got an unbelievable amount of ability, but we know she's wayward. Um, Henriette indicated that she was jumping straight. So let's see if she can do that on Wednesday. But Queensbrook, Anna Benina, she's giving weight all round. That'll be an interesting mare's hurdle. It will. 
and she could add a, a, another star name to what's already a fantastic looking race at the festival uh, and a notable retirement uh, of a wonderful servant, Bristol de May. Yes, a horse that came into his own around Haydock. He won 12 of his 42 starts, over a million euro in prize money to his name and no less than five grade ones. He excelled over fences. Ten of his 12 wins were over the bigger obstacles. Six wins at Haydock, including three Betfair chases between 2017 and 2020. But probably most crucially, Nick, he'll be remembered by his owners for providing them with their maiden group grade one win. Go all the way back to 2014's Chepstow finale hurdle. That was a red letter day in the double green colours. And it was courtesy of Bristol de May, who I'm sure will enjoy a well-deserved luxury retirement. Yeah, also won the Silly Isles Novices Chase at Sandown. I think one of four winners for the owners of that race in consecutive years and was placed in a Gold Cup as well. What a horse he has been for connections. Bristol de May, enjoy a well-deserved retirement. What are you going to go for this afternoon? Going to go to Taunton, the 3.30 is the Wellerys Cheltenham Festival betting guide handicap hurdle. That's a betting guide I actually always bring to the festival because it just makes my life a little bit easier. It's a class two handicap hurdle and I think that Jane Williams and David Noonan have the ingredients with Galice McCallow, who was no match for Epitaunt last time, but not in as hot water this occasion. There's only seven runners, but I think this guy could get the job done. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, February the 21st. I'll be with you from Riyadh tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.